Welcome to the Pasho Perspective, a place where I share my perspective on everything in the space between life and death. I'm your host, Pasho. Well, my wonderful Pachos Chachos, I hope you had an incredible summer, as I certainly did, going to Orlando, swimming with dolphins with the family, and then heading for a month into Ecuador, where my parents have now purchased a home. And let me just tell you that it was absolute paradise. So thank you so much for um, being patient with me and allowing me to live my life and do what I need to do. And now, my wonderful Pachos Chachos, I am rejuvenated once again for another hopefully successful year where you and I will grow together and hopefully work to save not only ourselves, but our beautiful country. So let's get started. For the first episode of Season 5, I thought I would share with you my opening speech to my incoming freshman class. Now, I don't have anything written down. I'm kind of shooting from the hip here, but again, I've been teaching over 20 years and I got a kind of I got it kind of locked down where I know what I'm going to say, I know what buttons I want to push. So let's begin. So very typically, my students come into the classroom, they sit down at their desk, and I introduce myself, I make sure, you know, you're in the right classroom, you got the right teacher, check the last name, etc. And then I ask them, what do you want to be 10 years from now? And very often, my bright students will say things like engineer, and doctor, and lawyer, and architect, and all of those pursuits are fantastic. But I do bring to their attention that I think it's pretty funny that when I ask them what they want in 10 years, not one says they want to be happy. They are convinced, and I think it's our fault as a society that we have pushed this upon our children, that they think becoming a profession is the epitome of their existence. Like when they become a lawyer, certainly they have to be happy. Although talk to Rudy Giuliani about that. And they think, well, if I'm a doctor, I certainly have to be happy after that. And then look at, you know, people with malpractice that although they got the degree, did not use it in the right way and all for naught. And then I remind them too that, do you think... There are any lawyers or doctors out there who are not happy? You know, we can watch movies, TV shows, and I mean, I don't know if it was a 90s thing or an early 2000s thing, but very typical, the archetypal characters you'd be introduced to is either a mother or a father who works too darn much. And the kid begins to resent them because... They are literally choosing their jobs over their children. You know, I think of Hook with Robin Williams, God rest his beautiful soul, where at the beginning of the movie, he promises to go see his son's baseball game. And because work is more important to him, more of a priority, he sends some scrub to videotape it and he doesn't show. 
And when he does show, everybody has already gone home. And you can imagine how full of resentment the son is when he does eventually get home to pour out excuses as to why he couldn't be there. But everything basically translates in the kid's heart to, I'm not important to you. Your job is more important to me. And so I ask them, is that really what you are? Is that it? Is that the epitome of life? You become a doctor and then what? Is that all that matters? You finish school, you get your doctoral degree, and then you can sit on your laurels? Isn't there more to life than that? Shouldn't we, more than anything, want joy and happiness in our life? I mean, I can be joyful and happy scrubbing toilets, so long as I had a loving family who respected what I did and why I did it, which certainly it would be for them. And if they loved me just the same, whether I put them in a shanty or in a mansion, who could say I'm not the happy man? So from that moment then, I try to encourage them to change. Not just change their perspectives, but change who they are. Not that there's anything wrong with them. But if you're going to spend 180 days, a school year, with me, you have to change. My promise is that they will be someone different after a semester in my class. They will be less introverted because I am an introvert excavator. And they will be more interesting in conversation because they will have read great literature and have pontificated upon wonderful philosophy and have really questioned the important things in life, which, if you really think about it, are not things. The most important things in life are people, specifically your family, your friends, your spouse. Our God should be on top of that list. And so I tell them that after 180 days, if they are the same person they were at the beginning of the class, then I have failed them. Because I don't want them to be the same. I want them to evolve. I want them to be better. I want them to get to the next level of who they can be. I don't want them to be satisfied with where they are because then they're admitting that they're not interested in gaining new knowledge, questioning information. Again, they're complacent and happy with their lot. And I asked them, well, in 10 years from now, do you think this person who you are now is going to be beneficial to you in the future? And most of them can acknowledge that, yeah, no, I don't, I don't want to be the same person in 10 years. I want to be more mature. I want to be more confident, stronger, right? More willing to take risks so that I can reap the rewards. And so I remind them then, like the last post that I have put on Facebook and X and um, Truth, is that you're not in school to get grades. You're not in school to work on your grade point average. The point of education is the education itself. I get paid just the same whether my students get an A or an F. 
because it's their education that they have to get. If they don't do the work, they are not depriving bread from my mouth. They are depriving bread from theirs, from their children's mouths in the future. You need to get the education you're supposed to get. Whether a teacher likes you or not matters not, because at the end of the day, you still need to know two plus two is four. And if your math teacher doesn't like you, then so be it. You need to find a way to still get the knowledge that you are supposed to walk away with by the end of the year. A teacher not liking you or a teacher being mean is not an excuse to shirk your education. And mind you, education is the one thing your government will give you, your country will give you that it can never take away. God has given us our inalienable rights, but our government is in charge of executing those rights. And as we have seen since COVID, our rights and freedoms can absolutely be taken away by these institutions. Our freedom of speech is being threatened. Our ability to even have an opinion is being threatened. And so it's very important now that we get educated because they can take away your property. They can take away your money. Just wait for digital currency to come and you will see it happen. They did it in Canada with the truckers. Trudeau didn't like them protesting, so he froze their assets. There are banks in America that won't let you buy a gun, even if you are of legal age, even though it is your constitutional right. There are banks that will forfeit your accounts if you hold the wrong political view. We are certainly not the same free people we were 10 years ago. So education is key because they can never take that away from you. And that is something beautiful that you can pass along to your children. Wouldn't it be great that when your kid looks up at you with the starry eyes of wonder, hoping that my mom and dad are really cool and really smart, and so I'm going to ask him this question, and wouldn't it be amazing that you are the one who can provide the answer? Where they look at you and think, wow, my mom and dad's real smart. As opposed to them asking you a question and you turn around and you say Alexa or Siri or Echo or whatever name of an intelligent device you have in the home and then they give you the answer and you regurgitate it to your child to which your child no longer looks at you in awe but thinks, wow, technology is great, not my parents. See, I don't want that for my students. I want my students to be those kick-ass parents who do know things because they did take their education seriously. And so I also encourage them to start building habits now, from the get-go, in freshman year high school. Give more than is expected. Give them a job more than what they paid for. Build good habits like honesty, like punctuality, like compassion, like courteousness. And so at the end, I think my students really receive the message well. I think they 
are optimistic about what we are going to accomplish. Mind you, this is day three now, and I still feel that enthusiasm from the first day because I empower them, all right? I'm not giving something to you that you couldn't take yourself. I'm trying to help you remember it, incorporate it, prioritize it into your life so that it stays with you forever. Because if you can learn English, you can learn science, you can learn anything. Because all knowledge is delivered through the written word. And so long as you can read and make sense of those things, you have all the power. There are people in prison who walk out with masters and doctorates because they've empowered themselves to build their skill of reading, which has then opened up doorways for them of opportunities once they get out, if they ever get out at all. And so... I want to contrast then that speech with the speech that I was given the week before students came into the classroom where teachers and administration are preparing for the opening week. And I heard something that I really just can't make sense of. And so I'm going to share it with you. And hopefully talking this out with you guys is going to help me kind of sort things out here. So in this presentation, I was told that as a teacher, I need to build a rapport with my students. I need to find a way to show them that I sincerely and genuinely care about them and to offer them a possible relationship where they see me as a safe person. So if they hear something bad or nefarious, they feel like, I can go to this guy and he's going to help me out. Or if they have problems and instead of having to carry their cross, they will feel like they can come to me and I will help them bear that cross. But how am I going to accomplish this kind of rapport when in the same breath, the same people who tell me that I need to befriend my students are also telling me that my students should not know anything about me. They shouldn't know where I stand in politics. They shouldn't know if I have faith or not. They shouldn't really know anything about me except that I am their teacher and I am wise. Is that possible? Can I build a rapport on a person who doesn't know how much I love my God? who is a huge part of me, not just in the church, but in everything I do, I carry my Catholic heart with me, especially in the classroom. My faith guides me to be merciful, guides me to be generous, guides me to be loving to my students, and yet you want me to hide my faith? I don't understand that. And how can I hide my politics when ever since COVID, ever since BLM, really, everything was made political? You know, we used to have two lives. We used to have a private life and a public life. But now because of social media, because of the way our society works, nothing is private. Some private conversation that I give to someone could be leaked out into the world to public opinion. 
I have a hard time reconciling these two things. Because on the one hand, I don't want them to misconstrue my affection for them as just placating to them. I want it to be sincere. And I can't be sincere and open up to my students while hiding my opinions. And I'm sorry, I'm disgusted with the state of affairs of this country. I am repulsed by the Democratic Party and the policies that they have put in place that is ruining our country. Increasing crime, increasing rape, increasing theft, increasing murders. Drug addiction is on the incline, suicide, depression, melancholia, divorce, abortions, loneliness. All of these things are growing at exponential rates. And you want me to keep the secret ingredients of my life, my opinions, my politics, and my faith. You want me to keep these cornerstones that have created this happy person who is speaking to you now And I can't share those secrets with my students. I can't give them the pillars of foundation that I have built upon. You want me to keep them secret? For what? So that they come out secular and atheistic, which will lead to addiction and suicide and depression? I lived that life. I'm not interested in ever going back to it again. And like Holden Caulfield and a catcher in the rye, I want to prevent all of my students in all of my classes from jumping over the cliff of absurdity. I want them to live in reality. I want them to bathe in the light. I want them to have and be the salt that gives flavor to the world. And yet, these are the very things our school board is trying to prevent us from sharing with our kids. Will they know me? And if they don't know who I am, can they befriend me? Will that rapport that is so desperately needed so I can be a source of safety to my students, can that exist? without me sharing all of that, which they so desperately want me to keep silent. And so on a last note, I encourage them, control your addictions. I would rather my students not do drugs, but if they're going to do it, do it moderately. Don't do it so that it starts to interrupt your life. Don't do it so you start creating a golden calf out of whatever it is that addiction is. It could not just be drugs. It could be a cell phone. It could be be social media. You got to learn to control your addiction before your addiction controls you. And one day that line will be so blurred you won't even know who is in charge anymore. And then I also tell them, look at your older peers. Look at the sophomores, the juniors, and the seniors. See if they are happy. Because they have been buying what society has been selling. And if you want to live akin to them, if you don't have any problems with their increase in depression, suicide, violence, addiction, and feelings of loneliness, then follow them. But I would encourage them, learn from your older peers. They're miserable. They're stressed. 
They're full of anxiety. Do you want to continue that tradition? Or do you think maybe there's something wrong and maybe we should try something new, something different? Like maybe bringing God back into your heart. Like maybe having politics that wants to conserve what was successful in our country instead of going so progressive that we even forget where the initial point was, where we forget what we had in the first place. The rights that we as a society lose today, our grandchildren will never even know they had those rights. And they will live a life like that. I know you, my pachos chachos, don't want that to happen. And you know I certainly don't want that to happen as well. And so we must be the change we want to see in society. If we see too many lonely people, we need to learn then how to build, establish, and maintain relationships. And I promise you, it's not going to work with your ego guiding you. Put the ego to the side. Humble yourself. The story is not about you. If it were when you died, the world would fall into darkness and nothing else would exist. But we know that doesn't happen. We have already lost too many people that we care to mention. And we have learned that the world still spins. So it's not about us. It's about what we do here and what we leave behind. It's about our legacy. What kind of legacy do we want? And that's what our ancestors taught us. Our ancestors survived using the knowledge that they attained from their ancestors. And they decided what was important, what was crucial and necessary to pass on. And we became the benefactors of those wise people. So now we too must be wise and differentiate what is worth casting aside and what is worth conserving. Because everyone will go down the river of time. And everyone will one day port, reach port, and dock their ship, and the story will be over. But their children, and hopefully they're smart enough to have them, to build that family, so that they have an inheritor to all of the knowledge and wisdom and artifacts that they have been given, and have sifted through and decided that this is still worth passing along. And then you give it to those future generations. And then you will never be forgotten because of your influence, because of your impact. And hopefully, like in Coco, there will be an ofrienda with your face there so that future generations, 10, 20 generations down the line, they will still remember the impact you left upon the family. And in that way, you never die. So anyway, that's all I've got to say for today, my wonderful Pachos Chachos. Again, I want to thank you for your patronage. I want to thank you for returning back to us, or to me rather, in the Pacho Perspective Season 5. I look forward to the many conversations that we're going to have in the future. And I feel so blessed to have such a wonderful community of people who have supported me for so long. God bless you this year especially my beautiful students 
and the students all around the world who may not necessarily sit in my classroom. May these 180 days be an amazing change where if you feel like a caterpillar, I promise you, hold on, wait. You will be a butterfly soon and it will be beautiful.